Okay, well, hey, everybody. I want to take a moment and welcome in all of our campuses, wherever you're at. If you're in Flower Mound, Venue, Denton, Louisville, at one of our extension sites, or watching online, can we all take a second and welcome each other together? So good to have you with us. Thanks for being a part of what's happening here at the Valley Creek family. I want to take just a moment and acknowledge something, and that is that the Lord moved in a beautiful and a profound way during the Disappointed series. God moved in our hearts and in this place, and he showed us how to take those rocks of disappointment out, start to look through the lens of hope. We heard so many stories of people saying, I didn't even know that I was disappointed in this area, and the Lord revealed it to me. I highly encourage you, if you didn't have a chance, go back and watch all of the Disappointed series at valleycreek.org. Check it out on the media part of the page. I think one of the questions we are facing as a leadership team is this question of, okay, what do we do now that it's over? Can I just tell you, It's not over. It is never over to look at your life through the hope of Jesus. If you have disappointment in your heart, start to look at that uh, disappointment through the lens of the hope of Jesus, not vice versa. The hope of Jesus knowing that there is goodness of God to come, that he has so much more for us. We want to continue to do that. As we get rooted in Jesus, it's so important that we keep pulling out those rocks of disappointment. Let the Lord speak to us in that way. Part of what we want for everybody at Valley Creek is to just really have a season where as your heart soil is getting rooted, that there's no rocks there, there's plenty of fertilizer, and it's time for the roots to grow. So that's why we're doing the kinds of sermons we're doing, the messages we're doing, the series that we have. We want to help equip you for everything that God has for you. And that is why we're going to put some fertilizer on those roots in this series today. So we are starting a brand new series this week called Face to Face, Learning to Become a Great Friend. Now, even as I say that, as I say that out loud, I'm sure what you're thinking is learning to become a great friend. How come the series can't be called Help Me Find Some Cool People to Hang Out With? How come the series can't be called Help Me Get Invited to All the Great Parties? Well, listen. Learning to become a great friend is something that all of us can need to do. See, here's part of the problem. When you talk about becoming a great friend, it's a little bit like wanting to have rock hard abs. You know, you want rock hard abs, you don't always want to have, you don't always want to do the hard things in order to get those. But learning to become a friend so that we can have friends is something that Jesus has for all of us. Remember that old adage, ready? The old adage, sometimes we'll tell this to our kids. To have a friend, say it with me, be a friend or buy a boat. To have a friend, (laughs) be a friend or buy a boat. You can do either one of those. See, the phrase to have a friend, be a friend, shows a supernatural principle of reaping and sowing. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. At the end of the day, the state of our friendships is less about our personality and our popularity and more about reaping what we've sown. If we've sown life-giving words into friends, then life-giving words are given back to us. If we've sown heart and soul into friendships, then heart and soul is invested back to us. If we've sown time into friendships, that time is returned back to us. Now, as soon as I start talking about friendship, I can feel it. There's hurt, there's disappointment. Some people are like, yeah, I've been there, done that. I tried to have friends. We had this entire season with these people. It went badly. I don't, just don't know if it's worth it. Listen, friendships can be tricky. Friendships can be tough. Honestly, it's not always easy to be a great friend, let alone have them. People can hurt you, wound you, gossip about you, but here's the question to frame this entire series. Do you believe that Jesus has more for you? 
Can you choose to believe that Jesus has more for you in the area of friendships? If the answer is no, <laughs> can you choose to open up your heart and receive whatever he wants to speak to you. If you're someone who's looking for friendships in this season, all right, open up your heart, receive what Jesus wants to speak. If you're someone that has great friendships, you're doing a lot of life with friends right now, okay, open up your heart and begin to learn how to become an even better friend. Is it possible that Jesus can use friends to heal where other friends may have hurt you? Is it possible that the best friends you will ever have, you have yet to meet? Because it's time to do some crunches, to get some rock hard abs in the area of friendship. So how do we journey somewhere we wanna go? By taking just one step at a time. So each week, we're gonna take a step and look at the life of Jesus. We're gonna look at how Jesus was a friend. That makes sense because Jesus was able to develop deep connection and long-term loyalty in just three short years. He shows us by example what true friendship really looks like. So what does it look like to be a great friend? Well, check this out. Turn with me to John 15. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up here on the screen. John 15, starting in verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is important. Jesus is telling you something that's gonna help you have even more joy in your life. You're going to want to listen up. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Listen, Jesus is your friend. Not because he has to be, but because he wants to be. He values you. He values your friendship. Now just think about that for a second. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the sustainer of everything that's ever been or ever will be, wants to be your friend. I would call that running with the right crowd. Before we go any further, remember this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are friends with God. And you are a beloved son or daughter of the good father. Back to verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying that the way that he interacted, the way he did life with his disciples is something that we should learn from, emulate. It is our example of friendship. This is how to become a great friend. And the biggest hurdle we face in friendship is lack of face in friendship. See if you can catch this. If we want to be great friends, we must understand that friendship happens face to face. Exodus 33:11. the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So Moses would go into the tent of meeting and he would literally talk with God face to face. He would interact with him. He would have conversations with him. I mean, that seems so obvious, right? That's how you become a great friend. But you know what's weird? We don't look at each other anymore. Like we don't even actually look at each other. Just think about what it's like to be out in public or at a sporting event or, or you know, in a store. You barely look at people. 
In the kingdom of God, life happens in circles, not in rows. Moses would speak face to face with God. Jesus surrounds himself at a dinner table with disciples, surrounds himself with crowds of people, and yet everything about our society is the opposite of that. Think about how society is set up. Our very culture is against face-to-face interactions. If you go somewhere like the post office, right? It's like face-to-back, face-to-back, face-to-back while you're standing at the post office. is like, that's where you go to mail a letter. Like you put a stamp on a letter and then you could send that to, like, to another city or like a, a state. So when you're there in line, you ju- you're face-to-back, you're not even facing towards people. If you go out into like a sporting event, if you're, if you're watching out, you're just, you're looking forward at a sporting game. Like think about, think about going to like a Cowboys game. You're just looking forward the whole time. Most of the time, you're just staring at a giant TV screen in front of you and you're sitting there, you're like, I, I could have I just watched them lose from home on my TV at home. I didn't have to actually come to Cowboys Stadium to, to watch them lose. I could have paid myself $100 and, and I could have sat at home and, and I could have, I got to make fun of the Cowboys because I'm from Ohio. So... <laughs> So Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Browns, makes me feel better when I, when I do that. So if you go out into the stores and, and you go to buy an item, it used to be in Jesus's day, you'd go and you'd buy like a piece of fruit from an actual fruit vendor and you'd look him in the face and you'd talk to him and you'd purchase the fruit. Now you go to a store, you go to a giant shelving of items, you pick out what you want, you go to an electronic scan machine, you get out of there as fast as you can. If somebody starts to talk to you while you're standing in line, you start to get all anxious and nervous, like, what, what, what do you want, what do you want? And they're like, you, you drop this. Oh, sorry, sorry, do you wanna to come to Valley Creek? So you don't, you don't even know how to interact with people out in public, it's almost like The system of this world is set to limit face-to-face interactions. I was thinking about this. The devil doesn't do face-to-face. The devil does face-to-stuff or face-to-self. See if you can catch this. When Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter four, Satan wanted him to focus on stuff and self, not onto the face of his good father. Hey, Jesus, I know you're hungry. Go ahead and take a look at that bread down there. Doesn't that bread look good? Aren't you hungry? Wouldn't you like to eat that bread? Hey, Jesus, just throw yourself down from the temple. I'm sure your body will be okay. You'll be taken care of. Hey, Jesus, look out into the kingdoms of the world. Look at all this stuff out here. I can give you that. If you just bow down to me, I'll go ahead and give that to you. And at the same time, Jesus was thinking about and looking into the face of his father. He was repeating the words that his father had spoken to him face to face. Why? Because when you look into the face of God, you're looking into the face of love. And when you look into the face of other people, you're looking at the image of your creator, literally the reflection of God in the person. Satan hates the image of God. He wants you to look anywhere else except for at the image of God. So when you look at people face to face, it's a reminder of their redemptive potential. It's an example of the creative spark that God has placed into each and every person, and that's precisely why the system of this world is set to limit face-to-face interactions. Satan's gonna encourage you everywhere else except for talking to people face-to-face. And that is why technology and social media are so dangerous. So at Valley Creek, we love technology. We leverage technology to advance the gospel. But no matter what you think about technology and social media, you have have to admit it is redefining how we think about friendship. 20 years ago, your phone's contact list was called speed dial. Your phone was on the wall, 
you'd actually have this grid pattern of names. This is crazy. You could press one button, it would dial all 10 digits. You'd have like mom, grandma, pizza guy, like dial the button. Now, 20 years ago, you would never think about calling all the numbers on your speed dial all at the same time just to let them know what you were having for breakfast. Yeah, I had a, a bacon and eggs and pancake with a smiley face on it. I'm gonna send you a picture. But yet, that's exactly what we do now. And here's the problem. It could be a form of false intimacy. With social media and technology, you believe you're sharing things about your life, but are you sharing your life? You're pushing out details, but are you willing and able to exchange feedback? You're giving and receiving information, but that is not the same as having a conversation. Information has replaced intimacy. I'm more concerned with the image of who people think that I am than who I actually am. We have replaced relationships with information ships. I know a lot of stuff about you, but do I know you? You know a lot of stuff about me, but do you know me? Here's a deeper question. Do you know you? Because God does, deeply, intimately. He knows your dreams, your hopes, your fears, your insecurities, and even with all that knowledge, there is no judgment, there's only Jesus. And he sees you and he knows you. And he desperately wants to be your friend. And the more that I'm involved with social media, the more that I desire face-to-face friendships. You know what like, my favorite thing on technology is? FaceTime and Skype. <laughs> you know why? Because you can actually see people's faces. That's what's so great about it. So I'll, I, use, uh, I use Skype to call my parents up in Ohio, and it's the funniest thing. Every time, every time, I get on Skype, and I'll be on the camera waiting for mom to get on, and she can see my face, so she thinks that she's on the camera. And so I'll be talking to her, and it's like, it's like I'm looking at the back of her home office. Mom, I need you. Mom, I need you to come towards the camera. She'll get like half her face in. If I get a whole nose, it was a good Skype session. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So that's my favorite part of technology. Why? Because I can see people face to face. Because friendship happens just like it did with Moses, face to face, where you can hear my voice. You can, uh, you can see my eyes. You can sense my heart. That's the model that Jesus shared with us. And Jesus did not live in the era of the interwebs, but it was a lot harder for him. Here's why. He didn't have a car. He didn't have coffee shops. They had to work like um, literally almost all day long just to put food on the table. And yet, all we see from Jesus is face-to-face friendships and interactions. He goes and visits Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He spends dinners with the disciples. He goes out of his way to spend time with Peter and James and John. Can you imagine if Jesus would have only had a text relationship with Peter? Like just a text, like Jesus talk, <laughs> Jesus, what's so funny? Oh, Peter, he's such a ham. He put ha ha to one of my texts. John comes over, he's like, what, what, what'd you write to him? I told him, follow me and we'll walk on water. I don't think he gets it. No, he would never have just a text relationship with Peter. He'd have a face-to-face relationship with him. So what now? Let me ask you, do you value face-to-face time with friends? Better question, do you value face-to-face time with friends more than a text, an iMessage, an email, a quick, whatever quick medium you use to get in touch with them, do you value it more than that? Because you can get the information, but can you get the person?
You can see the message, but can you hear their heart? Church, we have got to start going like this. Because that, just that, may be more of a spiritual act of worship than we realize that it is. Just that may be more spiritual warfare than we realize that it is. So we've got to start coming together face to face. The more time we give to something or someone shows how much we value it. If we wanna be a friend, if we wanna be a great friend, we must come together face to face. Carrie and I were reminded of this a few weeks back. We got to spend uh, two and a half hours with just with four couples at dinner, and it was long, and there was no TVs blaring at us, and our phones were off, and we were just, we were there. We were in the moment. And it wasn't easy, and it wasn't efficient, and it took a while to plan for it, but it was so Jesus. It just felt like Jesus. And I got to thinking about it after the fact. I was like, why did that just feel so good? Like, why did that moment feel so right? And I think it's because we're made for relationships. At the beginning of Genesis, when God says it's not good for man to be alone, he's not just talking about marriage. He's talking about friendships. He's talking about companionships. He's talking about face-to-face intimacy with others. So every week of this series, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about just one invitation that the Lord has from us by looking at the life of Jesus on how he did friendships. So this week, we're going to see how Jesus was available for friendships. Here's just two quick thoughts on being available. And the first thing is this, be available. We have to choose to be available because like anything worth doing in life, friendships are going to cost us something. It costs Jesus everything to have a friendship with us. It will cost us something to have a friendship with others. Listen to John 1, 14. The word became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son. We've seen him face to face. Who came from the father full of grace and truth. And the message says the word became flesh and blood. And moved into the neighborhood. And that move into the neighborhood into our life, it was costly. To get to the point where Jesus would say, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. He had to choose to pay a cost. Jesus wasn't okay with a long distance relationship. Like he wasn't just going in the front yard once a year to trim the hedge like, hey neighbor, how's it going? Good to see you, okay, well, see you later. That wasn't the kind of relationship he had. He moved into our neighborhood, he moved into our life, into our mess, he came down. He made himself available. He spent time with us. And so Jesus then moved from heaven, came down and faced public humiliation and scorn, and ultimately lost his relationship with the Father at the cross when he took on the sins of the world. Here's what I want you to see. If Jesus was willing to move from heaven, we must be willing to make moves. Well, we may not physically move, although you might have to if you have a situation where you're like a long ways away from people. Like if you're traveling, if you're traveling an hour to like a Valley Creek campus and you're thinking, man, this is hard, it's hard to get here, maybe it, you literally have to move and come closer to where you can develop those kinds of friendships. Or maybe you just need to move and come here earlier and stay later, like spend time in the cafe, spend time getting to know people, move your schedule so you can spend that time. If you're a stay-at-home uh, mom or dad, if you, if you work from home, maybe it's that you like, they have to move to Starbucks so you can be around people. Like if you're home every day and you're getting your tan from the glow of a computer screen, maybe you need to move out of the house and go spend some time with people and make the move to be around where you can make friendships. If it costs Jesus public shame and scorn and humiliation, 
you're going to have to make the choice to be emotionally available. Hebrews 12:2. for the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You have to be emotionally available for people in order to gauge, engage friendships face to face. To take a level of openness and vulnerability that I know it's so hard for us, and we're going to talk about it even later in the series, to be open and available to um, just be vulnerable with them. Here's just a question. Am I emotionally available? Are you emotionally available? When people process with you, do you feel guarded? Is there a wall up? Is it difficult to break through? Or are you open? Do you have an open heart, an open book for people to, to connect with and talk with? Don't let shame from past situations and friendships keep you guarded and unavailable. Another question would be, would people think of you as a safe person? So when they interact with you, do you strike them as a safe person willing to go back and forth and, and they can share things with you? If the answer is no, then the solution isn't uh, simple, but it, it, the solution isn't easy, but it is simple. The solution to just being emotionally available is to go back to the school of identity. We never graduate from the school of identity. Two weeks ago, we talked about that. We always have to go back to who Jesus says that we are and approach our emotional availability from that. If Jesus was willing to give up his relationship with the Father to have a relationship with us, we must be willing to create margin in life. Let's face it. Every part of our fast-paced, busy lives requires prioritization and open-handedness. I have to be willing to look at my schedule and the things that I'm doing and put those on the altar for the Lord and other people in my life to speak into those, to be able to create margin. Why? Because Jesus gave up his relationship with the Father to bring us to the Father. We may have to give up some stuff in order to have a relationship with others. We might have to give up old friendships in order to be available for new friendships. We might have to give up good things on our calendar to get the great things on our calendar. Let me just be really honest with you. This, is, um, this has really struck my heart recently. I'm starting to believe that saying the phrase, I'm so busy, is an ungodly belief. Like when somebody says, how you doing? And the response is, I'm so busy. I'm starting to believe that's an ungodly belief. Why? Because faith comes by hearing, and when you say that, you're starting to believe that you do not have the time for people or the life that God has called you, called you to. Can I just be honest with you on this? You always have time to love the people and live the life that God's called you to, always, always. So I really, I really encourage you, when it comes to a phrase like, I'm so busy, I encourage you to really think about that. Is that, the fr is that true? It might feel true. But, but for the things that the Lord is calling you to, for the ability to create margin for the life that he's calling you to, maybe consider, okay, I'm never too busy for what God has for me. I'm never too busy for the people that God has for me. I'm never too busy to create margin for the new friendship that God has for me. I am not too busy. I encourage you really consider, don't even say those words because your faith comes by hearing. Your faith is being built on that. Man, I want my faith to be built on unlimited time and resources from the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So your time is a treasure. So where you place your time on a calendar, that's where your heart will go and attach itself to. So is your calendar filled with more stuff or people? Because Satan does face to stuff, Jesus does face to face with people.
So if you just looked at your average week, does it have more stuff on it or does it have more people? It, if it's more stuff, man, that's true for so many of us. That's true for me a lot of the time. I just want to be more open to the people that God has for me. I want my heart to steer towards those people, the time that I'm spending on them, steer towards those friendships. All right, here's the second thing. You have to be available before you're needed. Jesus was available to us before we needed him. My wife and I's dearest friends here um, at Valley Creek, they've been available so many times before we needed them. It's like the, it's the 4.30 a.m. trip to DFW Airport because we were too cheap to buy the expensive tickets. So we got to leave at 6 a.m. So they're coming to pick us up because we don't want to pay for parking. That's awesome. That's when they come and they pick us up. And we're like, thanks, guys. Thanks so much for coming. Uh. We love you anyways. I'm sorry you haven't had coffee yet. It's those kinds of friends that have chosen to be available ahead of time. They were there when we brought back our Naomi from, from Africa. They were there at the airport cheering us on. They had to choose to be available ahead of time. Our friends were there when we had Naomi. She had to go to surgery at Children's Hospital. They were there at the hospital. They had to choose to be available ahead of time. Our friends, we had friends that actually gave us their house when our house had an insurance claim on it. They had to choose to let us have their house ahead of time to say, okay, we're going to give you this space because you need it. They were available ahead of time. Let me ask you, who would you call at 3 a.m.? Like when life is caving in around you, who would you call? Who do you think would call you? And if there's any even difference between those two things, between those two names, maybe that is the space that Jesus is inviting you to step into. That differential may be worth talking about because when life is caving in around you, when things are going down, you need to be able to be available for friends before they need it. You need friends who are available for you before you need it. It's been said that all of us end up somewhere, but very few of us end up somewhere on purpose. Jesus ended up with friendships on purpose because he chose to be available before he was needed. To the woman at the well, an unlikely woman at an unlikely place and an unlikely time of the day, Jesus was available before she needed him. To Peter, when he went to his boat, not once, two different times, Jesus was available before Peter needed him. Jesus chose to walk right past Zacchaeus' tree to be available before Zacchaeus even understood who Jesus was, to go to his house, to talk with him, to have the conversation, changing his life, being available before he needed it. I can't even think of a major story in the scriptures in which Jesus wasn't available for people before they needed it. It's literally all the major stories of Jesus. That's what we see with him. And guess what? He was available to you before you needed it. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Catch this. Jesus was available to you before you even knew you needed it. Like before Adam and Eve ever did anything, like before they chose to eat at the wrong restaurant, Jesus was available to you. That's a true friend. Proverbs 18.24 says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Yeah, there is. His name is Jesus. And he is your friend. He came face to face with you. He paid the price for friendship. And it was costly. 
He chose to be available for you before you even knew that you needed it. From the creation of the world. You want to know how available Jesus is? He's so available that he's literally inside of you right now. He's with you every moment of every day. Giving that friendship to you. Being a friend. A great friend when you need him. That's how available Jesus is to you. And now he's inviting you and me and all of us to think differently about friendships. Your friendship with him will ultimately help you have a friendship with them. Jesus was familiar with the old adage, to have a friend, be a friend, or buy a boat, whatever. To have a friend, be a friend. And he invites us to do the very same thing. Let's learn to become great friends in this season. Let's really step into this season of friendship as a church. Jesus made himself available to you and you can make yourself available to others. Jesus was a great friend to you. And he invites you to lean in, open up your heart, listen and learn to become a great friend to others. Let's pray. So Jesus, I just pray right now for each and every one of us that we would be um, open and available to the idea of friendship, to the idea of new friends and learning to become a great friend and stepping into the fullness of everything you have for us, God. God, thank you that you call us friends. That is our identity statement. So because of that, we can boldly have confidence to interact, to engage, and to come face to face with others. Lord, might we be a church that is not afraid to engage others face to face, to come into their lives and their homes and their situations, uh, to be known and to know them, to be loved even as you love us. God, just, I pray that all the way through this series, We would have just open hearts, um, receptive, soft soil to receive what you want to speak to us about friendship. I'm believing that there's going to be new, amazing friendships that are going to blossom even in this season because by faith and by obedience, people will start to step into it. They will start to match and emulate exactly what you did, Jesus. And because of that, because they see your example and because they take those steps, they're going to have new and amazing friendships that are going to come. They're going to blossom in their life. That's what I'm praying. I believe in that by faith. Lord, speak to us about who we are, the friendship that you have given us, and give us confidence to approach friendships, friendships with others. We love you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.